0: I get to read scripture this morning. It's coming out of 1st John chapter 2 and I'm going to read verse 7 to 11. I'm reading out of the message version this morning. My dear friends, I'm not writing anything new here. This is the oldest commandment in the book and you've known it from day one. It's always been implicit in the message you've heard. On the other hand, perhaps it is new, freshly minted, as it is in both Christ and you the darkness on its way out and the true light already blazing anyone who claims to live in God's light and hates a brother or sister is still in the dark It's it's the person who loves brother and sister who dwells in God's light and doesn't block the light from others but whoever hates is still in the dark stumbles around in the dark doesn't know which end is up Blinded by darkness. It's the word of the Lord this morning. You know what, this is kind of weird, but can I just pray for you as you come to speak? Mm -hmm.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. God, I just thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for all that you want to speak to us. I pray right now for Pastor Ken that you would give him your words. Give him your anointing to speak your heart. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that we would have ears to hear and hearts to obey. In amen. Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
1: Thank you. Nice to have a daughter that prays for you. Well, uh, as you know, we've been... Uh, <clears throat> I'm sure she's praying for me because my throat's a little bit uh, hoarse. Today as well. So you pray as well that it'll hang out. Uh, I feel good. My voice just doesn't sound good. We've been uh, reading in uh, 1 John and trying to understand what this uh, 90 year old senior grandpa and gritty writer uh, has to say to us about the journey of life. And his life is nearly over. And uh, he loves his children. And notice how often he refers to his readers as children. Now uh, that's a sign of real endearment. Uh, he can be a little feisty at times, but you know in his heart that he loves his children. He loves his children. And so John uh, helps us to get ready for Christmas by some of the things he says. I think especially in the opening words of the first chapter that we've already looked at. Uh, Christmas is about the word incarnation. Uh, We sing it every year in our Christmas carols, especially uh, in the song we sang this morning, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. John Wesley wrote that years ago, and one line really underscores the truth. There it is, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity and if you understand the word incarnation you'll understand what Christmas is all about the Apostles Creed doesn't use the word incarnation but it teaches the doctrine of the incarnation when it says conceived by the Holy Ghost born of the Virgin Mary conceived by the Holy Ghost born of the Virgin Mary the incarnation And John really emphasizes the Incarnation because that was one of the main issues at stake in the congregations to which he was writing. There was a heresy going on that uh, was, was calling the Incarnation something that wasn't valid. The Incarnation, it means God becoming human, a man. God taking on Himself human flesh. And that's amazing. God, comes to us. He remains God, but he also becomes human flesh. That's the incarnation. And one of the best verses in the whole Bible to describe this is from the same writer, only in the gospel of John, John 1, 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word, the eternal word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now let me ask you, have you noticed a predominant theme among many people in our world? And it comes in different forms, and it's subtle. The, the theme is simply this. I'm not so bad as I need someone to come and be good for me. I'm not so cut off from God, and God is not so holy that there needs to be a punishment For sin that doesn't matter now it's expressed in a lot of different ways it's subtle and it basically means hey I try to live a good life I mess up here and there but if you look at the big picture if you look at my life in general it's pretty good and the theme is good works my life is one of good works I live in such a way that the things I do please God my good living counts for everything and when you stop and you listen to it, that, the subtlety of all of that, it sounds reasonable. And yet, when you read the Bible, there's a verse that says our good works is like what? Filthy rags. That we can never, ever, ever measure up to a holy God. That we can never even come close. Our good works is nowhere close to the holiness of God. And like a batter, none of us bat a 1,000. In fact, not many bat 500. We're all in the 300s or 200s or 100s or less. We fall short. But the incarnation means that God recognized our sinfulness and Jesus came to this earth, lived the life that we should have lived, and he died the death that we should have died so that when we believe in him, we are accepted and live a grateful life for him. We recognize our sinfulness, we recognize our need of God, and God provides for us through his son Jesus Christ who came to earth and gave his life for us. Now this morning I was so privileged to see the Christmas tree and the cross. Those are the symbols of the Christian faith in a sense. There's a beautiful picture here this morning. And that's the story. Of Christ coming to our world in tangible form. The incarnation, God becoming one of us, and the cross, Jesus dying for us on the cross. Bethlehem and Calvary, birth and death. And that's the story. Now, this morning, uh, we have five verses that are going to help us anticipate the coming of Christ. And I hope you have your Bible with you or. Can pull it up on a on your iPhone or whatever. First John chapter two verses seven to eleven. First of all, a reminder of the old but important command, a reminder of an old but important command, and John takes pen to hand and he writes, "Dear friends, or dear beloved, my children, I'm not writing to you a new command, but an old one which you've had since the beginning." The old command is the message you have heard. Now, friends, I'm quite confident that when John writes this, that he has in mind the experience of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples in chap- chapter 13 of the Gospel of John. John was there. John experienced the fact that the Twelve came to celebrate the Last Supper in the upper room. And you'll remember that nobody took on the task Of washing the feet of the disciples it was a custom I mean walk into a place for a meal everybody was wearing sandals and the host typically washed the feet of his or her guests very nice touch the mark of Eastern hospitality made you feel right at home you uh, you set the tone for a welcome into your home and uh, the host washes the feet and welcomes you now when the disciples and Jesus gathered in the upper room nobody did that there was no foot washing and of course if you're going to have a meal together and if you recline together when you eat well you get the point or you get the foot close to your mouth and at least you'd love to have a clean foot so who is it that gets up and serves his disciples Jesus Jesus And he wraps a towel around his waist and he pours water into a basin and he washes the feet of each of his disciples and dries them with a towel and he gives them loving attention to each one of his men. And afterwards he said to them, I've washed your feet and you should also wash one another's feet. He said, I've given you an example. And what he was saying is, now as you go through life, This is the way you should live life. You get down on your knees for one another. You humble yourselves before others. And what a world this would be if we really took that seriously. How can I serve you? That's the question. How can I serve you? I know it's easy to say, well, how about serving me for a change? Anybody ever said that? Don't answer it. But we think it. So as he reflects in 1 John 2, 7, he says, I'm actually not writing you a new command, but an old one. And you have heard it through the years. Actually, the old command was a little hard to find. Who knew it was tucked away in the book of Leviticus? Chapter 19 verse 18 which says do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people but love your neighbor as yourself i am the lord and uh the verse before it is pretty relevant too it says do not hate your brother in your heart and then right after comes these words love your neighbor as yourself i am the lord it's way back in the book of leviticus Remember the words of the young lawyer who came to Jesus and he said, uh, Jesus, what's the greatest command? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And then he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. So John is saying, actually, I'm telling you about an old command. You've always had it in your history. Love your neighbor as yourself. But secondly, the reality is that it's a new and vital command. I think John's having a little fun with us in his writing. I think he's actually trying to catch the attention of the readers. And I think if you're a writer, you employ all kinds of tactics to hook your readers and to capture their interest. So he no sooner says, I'm not writing you a new command... And then he turns around in verse 8, and what does he say? Oh, I'm writing you a new command. What is it, John? Yes, I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you. Because the darkness is passing, and the true light is already shining. So yes, it's an old command, but it's also a new command. There's a new freshness to it. And John puts an interesting twist to it. It's not just the the duty of the law of someone to live as best they can in a society under Old Testament regulation. No, there's something new that's happening. There's something new coming down. And I think that John can't help but remember his experience around the table at the Last Supper. There is now a person who vividly illustrates the new commandment. And the truth is seen in him, in Christ. Because the darkness is passing, and here comes the light. The true light is already shining. Even though the Old Testament taught the duty to love, it had never been manifested in such a way as it was when Jesus came. I love the first verse of John 13. I had, I just It caught me fresh. It's, it's always wonderful when something catches you new and fresh. And it says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. I kind of missed that before. He now showed them the full extent of his love. And then comes this beautiful drama of the washing of the disciples' feet. And really it's saying, this is what love is like. And Jesus paints a picture for us how to love. Now I know we can use the words, I love you, I love you, I love you, I think you're great, I love you, I love you. But Jesus really didn't use all that many words like that. He simply demonstrated his love. Because he says in verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another... As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, how do you do that? Wash the feet of other people, AKA humility. So first a reminder of an old but important command. And then secondly, a reminder of a new and vital command and then thirdly, a reminder of the warning against the darkness of hatred that can take away from these first two. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. Oh. Now, John ramps it up a little bit here when he comes to verses 9 to 11. Remember, he's speaking to a number of congregations. He's like a regional minister. And he's speaking to a number of congregations where people can, um, have decided that they can kind of live like they want to live because they have separated the spiritual and the physical. They have compartmentalized the spiritual and the physical. And, and so they're saying, you know, since we're spiritual beings, we can just live like we want in the flesh. That doesn't really matter because spirit to spirit, God, us to God, that's where it really counts, never mind how you live day to day. And, and basically, if you get in my way in the physical, I hate you. I just detest you. I set you aside in my heart. And verse 9, the word hatred, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother, the word literally means to have a strong aversion to someone, to detest them. So John says, anyone who has a hate list, anyone who has a hate list, they say they're followers of Christ, but the reality is they walk in darkness. You can't have a hate list And walk in the light. They are not congruent. This is the ugly side of many in the family of God. Relationships have gone terribly south, and it has impacted friendships and family relationships. And John says, No, 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 no. Don't go there. Don't get shackled and thrown into the dungeon of darkness. And let me say to those who may be thinking of ministry in the days ahead if you are in a ministry of any description, you are in for a long siege in ministry if you can't forgive. If you can't look beyond a harsh letter or an ugly comment, it will destroy your effectiveness as a servant of God. You're done. In your lifetime, you will have lots of opportunities to deal with stuff like hatred and hurt. We live in a flawed world in the midst of a depraved society. You're flawed. I'm flawed. The person next to us is flawed. All of us could be labeled fallen. And people, including Christians, do all kinds of strange and terrible things. People will lie to you. Somebody that you trusted will gossip about you. The gossip might not be true, but it spreads like a poison and you can't stop it. A father-in-law or a mother-in-law might interfere in your marriage. A roommate or a spouse may say something in anger that cuts so deep that you think the wound will never heal. You see, all of us Have opportunities to cherish hatred or extend love. It's a choice. James Broderick, in his book, The Progress of the Jesuits, says of Pope Pius IV, he never forgot a slight done to him. And that was his fundamental weakness. He might appear to bury the hatchet, but he always marked where that hatchet was buried. He always knew where it was buried. Jay Adams, a counselor, said that a couple once came to him because the wife was having trouble with her mother-in-law. And when the wife sat down, Jay, the counselor, said, what is it that she has done to you that so disturbs you? And the woman reached in her purse and pulled out a sheet of paper and there were 37 items that were listed. Every supposed offense her mother-in-law had ever done. And she'd obviously gone over it again and again and again and had rehearsed it. Talk about keeping an account of evil. When we get to verse 10, it really is a commentary on how to walk with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we live in the light, we love our brothers and sisters. And your path is free of stumbling blocks. No, we're all on a pathway. We're all trying to walk with God. When there is darkness, there are stumbling blocks. And we're not sure where we're going. And we bump into things. And because I don't know so many of you in a personal way, I don't know your story. And these words are not directed at anyone, even if I did know your story. And I certainly intentionally wouldn't aim that them at you if I, if I could because of one reason. There are so many logs in my own eye that I don't have room to point to you. And aren't you glad you don't have to preach this this morning? <laughs> you don't have to preach this. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness. I just say this morning, let's look at this, knowing that we're all in the same boat. Verse 11, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. I mean, have you ever thought of it in those terms quite so starkly? Hatred blinds people. And it made me reflect on some of the estrangement that I've seen through the years. And it it, it, it immediately came to my mind a woman estranged from her husband. A woman who died with such a hatred in her heart toward her husband who was unfaithful to him. And he could care less. He went merrily on his way. And it didn't seem to bother him at all. And she was left to wither in her hatred. And I was there. She got sick. And she died. And she died in her hatred. It was so sad. What are the results of someone who does not love his brother or sister, but instead hates them? The scripture says three things. The first result is that they live in the darkness. Although he or she probably thinks they're living in the light. That's the crazy part about it. He or she thinks uh, he sees but is actually blinded by the darkness of hatred. Uh, This is the kind of person who is difficult in a fellowship of believers because they perceive themselves differently. They even sometimes perceive themselves as spiritual giants. And uh, they can be insistent on having something go their own way. It's got to be this way. And in reality, they're still babies with little spiritual perception. And you see, they live in darkness, but they don't know it. The second tragic result is that we become a cause of stumbling. We not only hurt ourselves, but we hurt others. And that infection that poison that we carry inside of us oozes out and impacts other people. A man was walking down a dark street and he saw a small light coming to him in a faltering kind of way. And when the light got closer, he could see a man with a flashlight carrying a white cane. And he said to himself, why would a blind man be carrying a light? So when he got closer, he decided to ask the question, why are you carrying a light? And the blind man smiled and he said, I carry my light, not so I can see, but so that others can see me. He said, I cannot help being blind, but I can help being a stumbling block. Yes, we forget that the hatred we nurse in our hearts is never self-contained. It flows over. And it impacts even those that we feel close to. Sometimes our loved ones would love to tell us, Oh, get over it, would you? And what they're really saying is, Please let the rest of us go on in peace. It's enough. The third tragic result of hatred is that it brings, out, brings our spiritual growth to a halt. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. A person who has a hate list never gets spiritual traction. They just wander through the years. And tragically, some wander through their whole life. And they never get traction. It is forgiveness and the light of Christ that releases us all from the prison of darkness. William Sangster was a Methodist preacher in the last century. One Christmas, he was working on his Christmas cards. Those are the days that we used to send Christmas cards. Uh, and he said he was, he had, he'd, he'd worked on all his Christmas cards while a friend waited for him. When Sankster was finishing up, his, friends, his friend got a little nosy, kind of went through all the cards that he had written. And he came to one that was sent to a man who had publicly berated and attacked the preacher. And the friend said, Sangster, you're not sending this guy a card, are you? Remember what he did at the meeting? And Sangster replied, he said, Yes, he said, I'm going to send him a card. And I've remembered to forget. And he mailed the card. You can, by the grace of God, and in his power, determine that you will remember to forget. Alfred Lord Tennyson said of Archbishop Cranmer, to do him a hurt was to beget a kindness from him. His heart was made of such fine soil that if you planted it in the seeds of hate, they blossomed love. I want that to be true of me. And you. You. Forgiveness, love. The alternatives are not what any of us desire. To be blinded by hatred and die a cranky old woman or an ordinary old man. Today is a good day to start remembering to forget. And we have the privilege to come to the table this morning, the table of the Lord. And our Lord said from the cross, forgive them. For they know not what they do. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this will all people know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So we remember the visual on the platform this morning. The Christmas tree and the cross. The one who made the world, who came to the world, John says he was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Oh, but listen to these words, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Isn't that wonderful? If you know him today, if you know him today, you're a child of the Most High. You're a child of God. He came at Christmas to be among us. And on, at Easter on the cross, He gave His life for us. He died in our place. The atoning sacrifice, we talked about it last week, the covering for our sins. He gave Himself for us. So the Lord's table is a, revis- is a visual reminder of the death of, Of our Lord on our behalf. So, really, three graphics this morning the Christmas tree, the cross, and the table. And we're reminded through a piece of bread that his body was ravaged with pain through the beatings and the scourgings and being nailed to a rough old cross. And when we take the cup and taste of the juice, we think of the blood that flowed from his hands and his feet and his side, and his life was being poured out for us. So the scripture reminds us of this ordinance. Two ordinances in the scripture. One is baptism. And the second is the Lord's Supper. And it's an ordinance of remembering. Calling us back over and over again to remember. And so in these uh, quiet moments this morning. We invite one another to take the bread. And to take the cup. And to remember. And to be grateful. And to be redirected in our hearts, in our commitment to bring our best for the risen Christ.